get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. We are delivered by Domino's. You sick of the turkey and ham? I'm done with turkey. I love turkey. I'm done with it, though. Go get yourself some Domino's pizza tonight for the games over the weekend. Whatever. Domino's.ca. Large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. Pasta, boneless chicken, cheesy bread for side dishes. Check it all out at Domino's.ca. That is Domino's.ca. Great show for you today. Fresh off the Christmas break, Travis Yost returns in just moments. Then, Sean Tierney from Hockey Graphs and The Athletic. James Harding after that with some fantasy hockey tips from NHL.com. And our buddy Ryan Simpson, author of the new book, of Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics, and he writes for The Athletic Buffalo. So a nice stack show as we get ready to turn the page and go into 2019. But let's welcome in Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Travis, how's it going, man? Happy holidays. Happy holidays, sir. How you doing? Good, good. Now, you were, you were absent last week. You were on a holiday break. Well-deserved. Did you, did you get uh, fed? Did you, we know you're a foodie, right? Did, did you have any, any great food experiences for, for the Christmas and the holiday season? <laughs> the only the only thing I was thinking about was the only thing that was missing was Domino's. I heard the yeah. advertisement again. I'm like, you know what? The only thing that was missing in that week's bridge was Domino's. That's right. That's right. And you can get it at Domino's.ca. Okay, Travis, let's start in Dallas. And well, star CEO Jim Lights wasn't. It didn't seem like he was in the holiday spirit, really. He described Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan's play as, quote, bleeping horse bleep, except, you know, without the bleeps. When asked about their struggles this season, does Mr. Lights have a point, or is he mixing in an extra dash of hyperbole when chatting about his team's two best players? Uh, the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but it's probably <laughs> a lot closer to he has this wrong than he has this right. Uh, it, it, there, there is some credence to the argument that Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn are not scoring at an electric rate. I, I, this is definitely a relatively down year in terms of their offensive production. But, you know, I, you know, I looked at the last 10, 15 games, and their scoring rate, while they're on the lower end of their, you know, historical averages for both of them, we've seen them go through many of these stretches in the past. And, you know, the, the, when you're an elite scorer, you're measured in aggregate, not what you do over five, six, eight, ten games, right? And, the, the issue that I, that I see here is, you know, if you, if you look at what Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn are doing in the offensive zone, they're still generating a ton of volume. They're still generating a ton of volume in tight. It seems like they're getting just a little bit unlucky, and I don't, I don't want to say that that's the only thing that's going on in Dallas right now. But long story short, I, I, I don't see any merit to the argument that Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn are the reasons why Dallas is struggling this year. Probably the reason why Dallas is struggling this year is they really don't have much of a blue line, and they don't have a lot of depth, and they look awfully mediocre, and that's being kind, <laughs> when their top line has, has a, a bit of a rough stretch. And, it, and, that, and that's really the overarching point here, which is the teams that we've seen succeed this year, last year, you know, really in the last few seasons, um, and, I, and I really you know, I, I draw immediate attention to Tampa Bay, Washington, Toronto, Winnipeg, Nashville – those teams aren't driven by one line just going off for 65 games a year. You know what happens? One line's good, and then one line, another line is good, and then another line is good, and that's, it's the whole merit to the argument of you really need productive depth in the NHL to win, and Dallas doesn't have that. Uh, the, the more interesting discussion, I think, outside of that, because it, let's be honest, those conversations happen privately all the time. I think it was just very eye-opening to see 
so many curse words in a, in a, in a public <laughs> forum about their two marquee or franchise players. The, the, the real story to me here is if I'm a player in the NHL and I've got a prospective free agent, you know, free agency coming up, am I going to take a call from the Dallas Stars mm. when I've got a CEO taking a run at me, ownership taking a run at me? You have to assume, although I, you know, I, I could be wrong on this, but you have to assume that the front office is, if, if they're not on the same page, they're in the same book. And, and to me, if, if you're ready to throw your two franchise players under the bus like that so publicly, I, good luck getting players there in the next few years. We, yeah. We've seen in pretty much every sport now, players are taking more control of their future. This is not the way that you build those types of relationships. No, not not at all. That'll be very interesting to track in conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter at Travis Yost. Travis, looking to your recent work on TSN.ca this week, you detailed how we are projected to see a significant amount of Canadian teams qualifying for the playoffs. And you note that there's a 75% chance of four Canadian markets making the playoffs, but this won't really result in a whole lot of joy for Canadian fans if there are a bunch of first-round exits. How hard do you think it's going to be for more than one Canadian team to find legitimate success in the playoffs? Yeah, so that that's a really good point that you just touched on there, and I, I want to expand on that a little bit, which is, the, you know, last year I think only two Canadian teams made the playoffs. This year there's a 75% chance four or more make it. I mean, I think I think there's actually still a point one or point two percent chance that all seven make it, but obviously, you know, Ottawa is pretty much out of the picture. So yeah. It's looking like four or five is the most likely number, which is great. Um, but, but the key here is the floor is non-existent. And what I mean by that, it, it's very high. And what I mean by that is Toronto, uh, Calgary, and Winnipeg, those three teams are all 98% or greater or thereabouts to make the playoffs. So we're not even at the halfway point of the season, and you've got three Canadian teams that, let's call them what they are. They're, they're effectively locks, right? right I mean, right. I think Toronto is a lock. I think Calgary is very close to a lock uh, because of the division they play in, and Winnipeg is probably going to get there too. So, you know, in a doomsday scenario, it's very hard to see them not getting three teams. And, and let's be honest, Montreal has a very decent shot at making the playoffs. Edmonton is, is really struggling of late, but they're still in the mix. My, my point being, though, You've got a handful of teams that are going to make it, and we've already have three teams that really, really, really have put so many points in the bank and have played really well through the first half of the year that you would have to assume that they're going to relatively play at the same rate, which means they're going to have home ice in the first round. They're probably going to play an inferior team, relatively speaking, within the division, and that lends itself well to getting out of the first round. I mean, yeah, yes, Toronto might, might end up in that... 2-3 2-3 matchup with Boston, mm. which I don't think we'll ever get to talk about enough on this station. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Winnipeg should have a favorable draw. Calgary uh, very likely will have a favorable draw. Um, it will be interesting to see if Montreal can get in. But it, there is going to be very real hope to get a couple of teams out of the first round. Um, unfortunately, maybe the best team, the Maple Leafs, is going to have a, probably a very tough matchup in the first round. Yeah, to start it off, let's swing over to the Colorado Avalanche. And they're kind of teetering as of Saturday, 3-6-1 and one in their last 10. They've lost three in a row. But the Avalanche choosing, I guess, Travis, to be a little bit proactive. They're breaking up one of the best lines in the NHL right now with Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Ratnan. According to Adrian Dater of BSNDenver.com, the Avs flipped Landis Cog for Nito on the left side. Uh, why do you think they're doing that now? Because there's the argument of, okay, you got this going. I guess you can always go back 
to that line combo? Is it just to try to be, again, a, a bit proactive and get out of this little slump that they're in? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I, I think I, this is where I descend from coaches and you know, I'm the first one to say these coaches know a lot more about this stuff than I do. They're not only in the locker rooms, but they have a much better feel of what players play well together. But um, the, the the one point that I, I like to push on, push back on pretty frequently, is that line, that Colorado top line, has played so many minutes together, and over a very large sample of data, we know they are dominant. And there is no other word to call them; they are dominant. Um, they they have went through a kind of a cooling scoring stretch of late. And what I think happens is we are very, very Bayesian about this stuff. Like, whatever happened in the last five games is how we think about stuff going forward. And what happens is that tends to lend itself, I think, sometimes to poor decision-making. So, you know, you're going to break up one of the best lines in hockey because they're in a cool stretch. And I, I, let me be clear, I understand the merit to the argument of, uh, of, of trying to reallocate talent through the lineup. But, you know, for the last 100 or so games, the Colorado uh, – the Colorado coaching staff and front office thought that that first line was the best way to win games, and they were very successful doing so. And now that they're going through a rough patch, they've decided to put a guy who's ultimately not a top-six forward into a first-line role um, to maybe spread talent more through the lineup. I I, I don't think it's a terrible decision. I I just don't know that the data really supports it. And what it it does feel like a little bit, and this is not a negative comment anyway, it does feel a little bit desperate, right? Like it does feel like, hey, we're going to, we're going to try and re-roll this dice six or seven times and really try and hit the hard four. And (laughs) the problem is getting the hard four there is very difficult. Uh, That, that certainly feels like what Colorado is, is doing right now. And, and actually this, this I think speaks well to other teams who, who are more willing to stay with a, what they believe to be the optimal lineup, even when they go through rough stretches. Um, because it's a very hard thing to do as a coach. You want to always see, you know, you always want to feel like you need to tinker a little bit, um, see if there's any way you can squeeze out more value. But the reality is, you know, mo- most of this stuff is, is fairly obvious and intuitive. And uh, I think Colorado had a really good recipe for success. So I, I don't know that this is going to be a better product, but I guess we'll have to see on that. Travis, last one for you here. Let's look at the Pacific Division. And do you think that any time before March we're going to get any sort of clear picture of how this division is going to shake out? Because right now you have Vegas three points back of first place. Ten points separate first from sixth. Is this division doomed to be a logjam right to the end? Yeah, um, I, I think in like in quadrants, right? So I, I think there's going to be a really uh, interesting race here between Calgary and Vegas. I, I, I think Vegas is still the best team in that division. Um, I, I know they went through a, a weird November, but, I mean, they have been white hot of late. Uh, Calgary's playing really well um, and have played really well all season long. I, I really think the division is going to probably come down to those two teams. I, I don't want to discount San Jose, but I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. In San Jose, they have, you know, one game they look great, one game they look terrible. And that's been pretty much a consistent theme for the first half of the season. Uh, what, what I'm really curious, the, the two teams that are really going to decide the direction of the way this division goes, though, are none of those three. It's Anaheim and Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Anaheim, I don't think, is a very good team. They have great goaltending. Um, you know, a very top-heavy lineup and in my opinion, pretty easily exposed against some of the better teams, but enough talent there where they can take care of some of the weaker teams in the West and the Oilers. I, I mean, you know, you, you could talk about the Oilers for four hours uh, <laughs> and still not even touch upon what, what that team could be or should be. But, um, you know, all, all of the fanfare and discussion around, oh, Ken Hitchcock has saved the day. Uh, I like Ken Hitchcock, but uh, the team is going south again. Uh, their, their record is actually 
in, in, um, inching closer to what it was under Todd McClellan um, in, in the Ken Hitchcock days. So, you know, that, that roster is fatally flawed. It is what it is. Um, ultimately, it's going to come down to can they get better goaltending plus can Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and their, and their big guns just go on another 20-game heater like we saw early in the season? Uh, I, I think that's a lot to ask for. And even if it does happen, are they really any better than maybe third or fourth in the division? I, I, I just see it. It's going to be a pretty tough, difficult to ask there. Yeah, that is going to be something to track that Pacific division, how it all shakes out. Uh, Travis, great stuff as always, man. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you in 2019. Happy New Year, sir. Take care. All right, Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Got to follow him on Twitter as well, at Travis Yost. We will step aside. And on the other end of the break, it's Sean Tierney, our buddy from Hockey Graphs and The Athletic. We'll be talking about the NHL scoring race and if Sid the Kid can get back into it. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. We're rolling along here on TSN Hockey Analytics. Last show of 2018 before we kick off the new year next week. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. We are delivered by Domino's. If you haven't checked this out, folks, the Piece of the Pie Rewards Program. Really cool, free to join up. This is all you do. Domino's.ca, top right corner, you'll see Piece of the Pie Rewards. Sign up for free, and then what happens, every online order of whatever, could be pizza, uh, boneless chicken, pasta, whatever you're getting at Domino's.ca, anything $10 or more, you get 10 points. At 60 points, you get a free pizza, and you keep going. It's a great deal. Check it out. Piece of the pie rewards at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Let's welcome in our good buddy from Hockey Graphs and the Athletic, Sean Tierney. Sean, happy holidays, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on, Andy. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Anytime. Um, and as always, we source many of our questions for you from your great Twitter feed, at Charting Hockey, updated daily with unique charts, visualizing all sorts of hockey data. Very cool stuff. But I want to begin with a pretty simple chart. NHL scoring race. Yesterday, the top five-point leaders were composed of Kucherov, Ratanen, McKinnon, McDavid, and Gaudreau. You mentioned in your tweet, though, that you expect Sidney Crosby to go on one of his signature second-half runs and end up in the top five in points by the end of the year. What has caused Crosby to be held out of the league leaders in the point race so far, despite being healthy for this season? So I'm an unapologetic Crosby fan uh, at all times. And I think, you know, it's been pretty amazing to watch how year in and year out when he's been healthy, he's been kind of the quietest uh, big game star that the, the league has had for a long stretch now. So why aren't his point totals maybe in the top five? I think that maybe for me, the big reason is Pittsburgh's doing that thing where they're sort of churning wingers for him and trying to find the right mix again. Gensel's been sort of the most common winger, and he's been good. He's got 15 goals on about 11 expected goals so far. Uh, Simone and Rust have been the other guys taking the spot. Neither are, you know, sort of top-notch elite guys, but Crosby can have that kind of booing effect on whoever it is that gets to skate with him. But for me, when I'm projecting Crosby forward, I like to look at things like goals above replacement or the war stats where you look at their overall contributions. And there, Crosby's the leader in forwards this season so far. He's at about 12.4 or 12.5 goals above replacement, which is about maybe two wins above replacement. It's the best mark among forwards so far. Um, and he's already 20th in points, uh, you know, so he's not that far out. 
He's got 42. But the one thing that really interests me there is there's only six secondary assists. And we know that those are pretty fluky. Uh, they come and go for forwards. They're not something a reliable uh, sort of telling stat about their ability. Only Tavares and Ovechkin are ahead of Crosby with that few secondary assists. So what we're seeing is Crosby is still one of the top forwards in the league, maybe the top forward in the league. He's not being fueled by fluky, fluky stats underneath. He's getting his points, and he's doing it with kind of a rotating list of guys on the wing. So you know, he's still got his 16 goals, his 14 expected goals really backs that up. He's still shooting from all over the front of the net like usual. He's about 24 feet out, which is very close even among forwards, using all the shot types. So, you know, for me, Crosby's that kind of guy who's doing it quietly. He's hanging around the outside, and I really expect to see him scoring more uh, as we go through the second half. Sean, you mentioned year in and year out, and it's crazy to think that this is his 13th year and he's 31 years old. Isn't that nuts? It's wild, and, and I saw a stat come out the other day about how many games he's played, and you forget that he lost so much time with the concussion, yeah. kind of right in the middle of his peak. But, you know, he, he's, he's in his 30s now, and he's still got some years to go. I think he still has a number of really productive years coming, and, and he's still doing all the things that he's always been able to do. So I, I think he's one of the greats, and he's kind of quiet about it, but he, he's still one of the absolute best players in the game. And, and Sean, let's go to another one of your charts here at Charting Hockey. Uh, and it shows us that Toronto's expected goal differential has been steadily on the rise for the month of December. And one of the key contributors to that trend has been Morgan Riley, perhaps an unexpected contributor, especially at this level. So what is different in Riley this year than in seasons past? And I'm going to use the show's favorite S word, Sean. I'm sustainable. Is it sustainable for Riley to do this going into the new year? Uh, so, no, not really. Um, Riley's having such a, a wild, successful season, and I think we talked about this maybe right off the beginning of the season. Is this the kind of rate he can keep up? And, you know, so far anybody who called against him uh, has looked pretty wrong. But Riley has been buoyed a lot by the fact that the Leafs have that just absolutely incredible offense. So when you can run Riley out and you know you're going to have Marner, you're going to have Matthews, you're going to have Tavares, and some of the guys who are up in the very top of the scoring race, you know, you're going to get your points, and, and Riley's playing a ton of minutes. For me, I think the reason we're seeing him hang around so high is that he's doing some things that he can control really well. He and Hainsey, whether Hainsey likes it or not, are playing a sort of fun brand of hockey, which is they're on the ice for a really above average rate of expected goals for and against. And I think Hainsey's kind of heralded as a bit of that like quiet, calm partner, but he's not been able to slow down this pairing at all. They're going fast and heavy every time they're out there. Uh, the thing for me that makes me wonder, is this what we should expect to see from Riley going forward, is that 13 goals. And I think that's a really big you know, sort of red alert when you're looking at yeah. that. He's got five expected goals. That's a totally reasonable total for a defenseman that had put him on pace for, you know, maybe 10, 11 goals over the course of a season if he was in line with expectation. I don't think anyone would quibble with that from Riley. He's got 13 right now on those five expected goals. Only Matt Dumba and Thomas Shabbat have outperformed their expectation more among defensemen. So it's not something that I would expect to see. Riley's shot hasn't become a Tavares-like cannon uh, somewhere along the way. The thing Riley's doing that really impresses me is he is generating his offense from all over the zone. He's kind of like a Seth Jones or Zach Wierenski right now where he roams around the offensive zone. He gets in tight about 46 feet out on average, which is really close for a defenseman. So he's getting his opportunities, and he's trying to make things happen. But 
he's well above expectation in terms of his goal scoring, and I really expect that to come back into line with expectation in the second half. The assists are going to come. Playing in Toronto, you're going to get your assists. Sure. You know, he's well on pace for for great totals in the end. But that goal scoring, I think, dries up. And then he kind of sits back a little bit more into the pack of the top scorers and defensemen. And that's probably something more sustainable as we get into the new year. In conversation with Sean Tierney from uh, The Athletic, from Hockey Graphs on Twitter, at Charting Hockey. Sean, let's swing out to Edmonton here. And uh, after getting Ken Hitchcock to run things uh, behind the bench just over a month ago, the Oilers have hit their first extended rough patch with him. They've lost four straight games. Before this, Edmonton had really seemed to respond as a a team record-wise to that coaching change. From what you've seen, has Hitchcock been able to address a lot of the problems that were there before, or is there still plenty to fix in Edmonton before the playoffs are even considered? For me, plenty to fix before anything is straightened out in Edmonton. I've not been very popular with Oilers' Twitter of late, but... Before McClellan was fired, which was November 20th, Edmonton had actually been kind of a slightly positive expected goals team, which is they were generating just a little bit more than they gave up on average. They had gone on a really nice streak just before McClellan was fired. But right up into uh, McClellan's firing, they had been a positive team. So they were doing good things. They were getting more chances than they were allowing. What hadn't been good for their record was Goaltending had been kind of an up-and-down thing. Koskinen hadn't quite taken hold and gone on that run yet. You know, Talbot hasn't been great. Shooting percentage wasn't fantastic. And they went into a bit of a PDO trough just before McClellan was fired. So, you know, that can get you fired. Bad luck uh, playing for a team that's looking for a change. When Hitchcock took over, a sort of strange thing happened, and, and I've been kind of beating this drum on Twitter at least, which is, their expected goal differential has been sliding down, getting worse and worse and worse ever since Hitchcock took over. And they were winning, and so people weren't really noticing. But Hitchcock was really riding this sort of crazy PDO bender that Edmonton went on right around the time he got hired. They got as high as about 110 PDO, which is just not sustainable over the course of you know a month, let alone a, the rest of a season. But that was hiding the fact that their play seemed to be getting worse. They've gotten so bad that they actually have the worst expected goal differential in the NHL right now. Really? They're behind teams like Detroit. They're behind teams like Buffalo, Arizona, some of the really struggling teams. They've completely sunk down right down to the bottom. So, you know, how long can this PDO last? We've seen it run out in the past few games where their uh, expectation in terms of shots and save percentage have come back into line. They're starting to lose. And, And for me... It's something that I think we could probably see coming. They're giving up too much quality. They're not getting enough against. And this has kind of been the case since Hitchcock took over. So is it part of some sort of grand scheme that he has to fix things in the long run? Maybe. But for me, this is kind of what I expected to see when he came in. And so far, you know, the results are finally starting to catch up to what's actually going on under the hood. Yeah, it's pretty typical. You have that first blip of success under a new coach or new voice, and then things get back to why the other coach was was fired. So, uh, Sean, great stuff as always, man. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you real soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Andy. There he goes from Hockey Graphs and The Athletic, a must-follow on Twitter, at Charting Hockey. It is Sean Tierney. We're going to take a look into some fantasy hockey tips, some talk from NHL.com fantasy hockey writer. My guy, James Harding, joins me next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey.
Happy holidays, everybody. The last TSN Hockey Analytics of 2018 will kick off the new year next Saturday right here on TSN 1050. I'm Andy McNamara. You can get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. If you miss any of the shows, you can just subscribe and rate us on iTunes, on the iHeartRadio app, the TSN1050.ca show page, and as well, we'll send it out from Twitter. And of course, we are delivered by Domino's. Go grab yourself a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. Let's get to some fantasy hockey talk. Joining me on the Domino's delivery line, it is our NHL.com fantasy hockey expert, James Harding. James, happy holidays, my friend. How are you? Uh, happy holidays, Andy. I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? I am good. Did You, you had a good Christmas? Did you get uh, get get presents over eat, all that good stuff? Uh, everything and above, yes, sir. Nice. I hope you and the family had a good one, too. Oh, we did. We sure did. And you know what? For post-holiday, folks, you can go... Feed yourself, uh, watch the game, fancy, casual, whatever, at Three Brewers. The food is great. The microbrewery restaurants, Three Brewers microbrewery restaurants all across the GTA. Downtown, Liberty Village, Markham, Oakville, all across the GTA. Microbrewery restaurants, Three Brewers. Make sure you check it out. Okay, James, let's go. We're going to look at a, a head here into 2019 in Stock Up. Stock down. And this is for the second half of the season. We're just out of the holiday break, so we have a nice chunk of games to feed from. So from fantasy hockey-wise, moving into the second phase of the season, give me your two stock-ups. Yeah, my first stock up for the second half of the season, heading all the way out to Vancouver, and it's actually goaltender Jacob Markstrom. Okay. Uh, when you When you look at what he's done as of late, He's won eight of his past nine games, and the one game that he lost was a one nothing shutout. Uh, dating back to November 24th, he's 8-2-1 with a 1.91 goals against average and a 9.31 save percentage and 11 starts. Uh, so when you, when you look at what he's doing out there right now, he posted an NHL career high, 23 wins last season. He's 15-10-3 right now in 28 games, so he's on pace to break that 23-win mark from last season. Vancouver is a better team this year than they have been in the last few seasons. They're, they're a young team. They're playing fast and loose. And when you have an offense that's headed by guys like Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser, uh, that team is definitely going places. Alexander Edler is back on the defense now. He's healthy. The defense has been playing a lot better. And Markstrom just looks to finally have the confidence of being the number one goaltender out there. And so I I really like Markstrom going forward the rest of the season. I don't necessarily know if he's going to end up being a top 10 or top 15 goaltender, but he's very, very serviceable for the remainder of the season. I think a lot of people might be overlooking Vancouver, and for that reason, I think he's going to be a really good source of wins for the rest of the year. He has a chance to approach 30. And then my second stock up for the remainder of the season in Chicago is defenseman Eric Gustafson. He leads the Blackhawks defenseman with an NHL career-high 20 points already uh, and has four power play points and 66 shots on goal this season. He has nine points, three power play points, and seven hits in his past 10 games. He's skating on the first pair with Duncan Keith at even strength, and he's actually running the point on the first power play unit with Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Alex DeBrinkett, and Dylan Strom. So I really like Gustafson right now. 
He's only 20% owned in Yahoo leagues, so he's readily available, and he's getting major, major minutes with exposure to a number of elite players at the top end of the Blackhawks lineup. Awesome. And as you said, available. Go out and get him for your fantasy hockey leagues, folks. So those are the two stock ups there, James. What about stock down? Who should we be looking to avoid as we head into the second half of the fantasy hockey season? Yeah, and uh, it's it's a very, very weird situation down there in Dallas right now. Um, You ever seen the movie Dodgeball, Andy, where Pepper turns to Cotton when Average Joe's is going to forfeit the championship match, and he says... The bold strategy. Let's see how it pays off for him. <laughs> what happened in Dallas yesterday might be the most applicable use of that quote ever, um, because it's going to be very, very interesting from a fantasy perspective to see what happens with Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan down there right now. Um, they're not actually having bad seasons from a fantasy perspective. In Yahoo standard leagues, Ben is 57th overall, and Sagan is actually 33rd overall. But when you look at the team as a whole, and when you look at how that situation might affect them, I think it might have more of a negative effect on those two than it will a positive effect. I'm not saying trade them. I'm not saying get rid of them yet. But I'm saying I'm weary of that situation right now where the team is putting, I think, a little bit of undue pressure on those guys to step up when the rest of the team has kind of largely underperformed the the, the uh, first part of the season heading up to this. Remember, Alexander Radulov has missed 11 games. So that line there took a big hit production-wise, and they're really kind of devoid of scoring talent after that. So Ben and Sagan are very uh, capable of picking up the scoring, but this year it just hasn't been there right now. So I'm interested to see what happens with that situation, and that has me a little bit weary going forward into 2019 about the two of them. Yeah, that's, as you said, that's always a bold strategy when the CEO calls out their two-star players that are still under long-term contracts. It's either going to be like, hey, let's let's rally against this guy, or you're going to be stuck with possibly two malcontents for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, and that's the only reason why I think this could have a, an effect negatively to, to trickle down yeah. to their play on the ice. So that's where I'm a little leery. And then uh, my second stock down, and and we we talked about this a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about it now, too, because we've gotten enough of a sample size with him where it's starting to become a little concerning, and that's William Nylander. Right. Uh, Two points in 10 games since returning, and both of those points came in one game on December 11th against Carolina. So he's he's pointless in nine games out of the 10 so far. He hasn't yet cracked the top six which we were all expecting him to just slot right back into the, onto that line with Austin Matthews. He's on the third line right now with Connor Brown and Nazem Kadri, and it's, it's just concerning there. Now, normally when I put people on my stock down list, they go out and they have a huge weekend. So <laughs> that could very well be the case right here. Um, but the sample size is out there right now where I would be concerned about Willie Nylander going forward for the rest of the season. And if I had him in a keeper league, I would be considering maybe trying to dump him for something right now because I don't know if he's going to be keeper-worthy by the end of the year. Yeah, that's going to be real tough, uh, both just for fans in general and for fantasy because it's somebody 
you you don't want to dump too soon, but you wait, and, and sometimes you risk those players. You hold on, you wait, you wait, you wait, and they never pay off where you could have made moves. So that is uh, that's that's something to watch with uh, with Willie Nylander. So that was stock up, stock down. Brought to you by Three Brewers. Great beer, great food, great times. In conversation with James Harding, NHL.com fantasy hockey writer, uh, on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey, and you can send him and tweet him your fantasy hockey questions there. Okay, let's go to some value plays in your DFS DraftKings hockey lineups. Okay, give me give me somebody for this weekend here, James, that you like value-wise when you're putting your DraftKings lineup together. Yeah, heading back out to Chicago, mentioned him uh, on the first power play unit out there with the Blackhawks, and that's Dylan Strom. Uh, he's, he's under $4,000 in DFS. He has back-to-back multi-point games totaling one goal, four assists, and three shots on goal. At even strength, he's centering the second line between Patrick Kane and Artem Anisimov. And, again, on the first power play with Kane, Taves, uh, Alex Dabrinkit, and uh, Gustafsson out there. Uh, they have a favorable matchup on Saturday against uh, Colorado, who ranks 20th in the NHL right now, allowing 3.05 goals against per game. Uh, so the fact that he, as well, has the exposure to some of the elite talent on the Blackhawks He's producing right now. It seems like he's starting to settle in in a little bit with Chicago now that he's been there since that trade from Arizona. Um, And he's got a very, very favorable matchup and a very favorable salary for for DFS. So I I like Dylan Strom tonight uh, against Colorado. Very nice, sir. We are out of time, if you can believe it already, but we'll pick it up next week when it's 2019. Have a very happy New Year's, my friend, and we'll talk to you next Saturday. Yes, Happy New Year's to you and the guys up there, Andy, and uh, I'll see you soon. Absolutely. There he goes, James Harding, NHL.com fantasy hockey writer. You can tweet him your fantasy hockey questions at jharding underscore hockey. We'll step aside and talk to friend of show Ryan Stimson. He's from the Athletic Buffalo, but he's also the author of the new book, Fresh Off the Press. It is Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. We talk with Ryan Simpson next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. We are back to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics. Happy holidays, everybody. New Year's coming up. It's going to be an exciting 2019. I can just feel it. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. Get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. We are delivered by Domino's. Go get yourself a large four-topping, just $12.99, and join the Piece of the Pie Rewards. It's free to enter, and for every $10 or more purchase through an online order, you get 10 points. At 60 points, you get free pizza. Pretty good deal. Check it out, dominoes.ca. That is dominoes.ca. And you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes for the show so you don't miss a second of it. Let's get, though. He's from the Athletic Buffalo, and he is the author of Hot Off the Presses. It taped to space, redefining modern hockey tactics. It's our old buddy, Ryan Stimson. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm great, Andy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, last time we had you on, your book was just about to be released. You gave us a little bit of a of a sample, a taste there. Now it's out, fully available to the public. And if you head to your 
uh, Twitter feed at RK underscore Stimp. People can find your pinned tweet with a link to purchase Tape to Space Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. So in the book, you help coaches, analysts, and fans alike understand the tactics behind the game and what makes certain things work. So for all the advice in this book, was there a certain team or system in the NHL that inspired a lot of your writing? Yeah, and it's, certainly. I mean, the uh, what's what's what they say about coaches. I mean, the best coaches are the best thieves, right? So, so what <laughs> my approach was this book was uh, using data analysis to identify which teams excelled in certain areas of the game. So you studied, you know, uh, like the Pittsburgh Penguins transition game, or you know, any team under Hitchcock and their defensive zone coverage, right? And so you you identify which where teams excel. And then kind of see how you can kind of, you know, link all these different traits, these habits they have together to kind of build this optimal way to play. So, so what team influenced me the most? Well, you know, you, you kind of steal a little bit from everybody once you have all the data in front of you to identify which teams are best in certain areas. And Ryan, in part three of the book, you detail some of your experience in trying to apply these beliefs and tactics at the 14 and under level. So without spoiling too much of the book, we want people to buy it, of course, can you detail some of the highlights of this experience and what would you say was the hardest part of this experiment, for the lack of a better term? Well, I, I think, you know, every any coach or even parents will agree is, I mean, the hardest part is just getting people to listen to you, right? Yeah. So you're, you're kind of coming at them with... Uh, you know, some new ideas, some new things that haven't been done before. And, you know, at down deep, you're, you're just kind of hoping it works, you know, because then, then they'll buy into more things there. Yeah. But I, I think the, the hardest thing uh, for me and the biggest learning experience was taking these kind of, you know, using analytics to get these ideas of what we want to do and then really kind of boiling them down to, you know, really just drills in, in, in structural, you know, teaching points on how we want to accomplish these things. And the other coaches I had were fantastic in, in, in uh, educating me a lot in that process. In conversation with Ryan Stimson of The Athletic Buffalo on Twitter at RK Stimp and also the author of Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. So, Ryan, in Tape to Space, you also go through a bit of the protocol for implementing these these tactics when dealing with an old-school coach. And you just said one of the toughest parts is get people to listen to you, right, and and, and buy in so that if and when it works, they'll do more. So what would be a piece of advice for dealing with someone who may be set in their ways, trying to get them to look at something from a new perspective? Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, you, you know, you, you have to step back and realize that, you know, you're all on, on the same page. You all want the kids to be successful. And so, you know, compromise is often your best, you know, weapon to use, essentially. But, you know, even with, with old school coaches, uh, you know, people, like you said, set in their ways, you know, coaches are always about information to help them, help the team, you know, help them look better, help the kids play better, help them develop. And so if you can present something clear and, and, and logical using some data, then I, I think most people I've come across, uh, you know, are generally open to that idea, right? I mean, you, yeah. you want to be sure you don't, you, don't uh, you know, take on too much at once. You kind of want to install things over time. And, you know, during the season, you know, it was very much baby steps. You know, let's try this and here's why. And I think that's the biggest thing is always here's why and then having a plan to back it up, right? I mean, as, right. you know, analysts online we can see something and say oh they shouldn't do that well what should they do right you always Mm -hmm. need to be prepared to kind of back up your opinions and offer a course of action so as long as you're prepared done your research 
and you know have everything kind of laid out in nice orderly fashion for other coaches to listen to, I think most people will recognize that work you put into it and will be open to, to hearing you. Yeah, easy to say no, but you have to have a, a backup plan to to back that up. Uh, Ryan, let's exactly. finish. Let's finish with the Buffalo Sabers here. And when we had you on last time, Sabers were either uh, they were I think second in the Atlantic at the time. Now they're in third. They have Montreal and Boston nipping at their heels in the division race. At this moment in time, would you classify the Sabers roster as an overachieving group, or is being in the middle of a wild card race right where they're supposed to be? Uh it, it's, it's difficult to answer, uh, you know, just one way because I think their five-on-five play dramatically underwhelms. Like, mm-hmm. they're not a great five-on-five team, but they've done a really good job with their power play, and they've done, you know, a decent job with, with their penalty kill, and that's helped them stay in games, and they're also, you know, getting a fair bit of good goaltending. So I think with the points they've banked so far this year, I think it's reasonable to think they can contend for one of the wild-card spots for the rest of the season. Although I do believe that we're starting to see them, as you as you say, Andy, Boston and Montreal nipping at their heels. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to give ground there and eventually yield that third spot in the division, and then have to contend, you know, with the number one seed of either the Metro or the Atlantic should they carry through on one of the wild card spots. Ryan, great stuff. Good luck with the book. Again, you can find the link to buy Tape to Space Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics at your Twitter, at RK underscore Stimp. Happy holidays, my friend. You the same, sir. All right, there he goes, Ryan Stimson from The Athletic Buffalo and author. Make sure you check that out. So for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. Have a very happy New Year, everybody. We'll be back next Saturday at 12 p.m., right here on TSN 1050. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics.